Welcome to the History of the Bible. Here we will look to the Bible and explore the history of God's story. From the perspective that the Bible is absolute truth with events that actually happen with people that actually live. Never measuring what the Bible says and comparing it to man's theories, but always putting the theories under what the Bible says as truth. Come join us in the History of the Bible podcast. Episode 3, When It Rains, It Pours. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, God says that the days of man will be 120 years. Many think that because of the wickedness of man, that no longer will humans live past the age of 120 years. As the verse itself says, that his days shall be 120 years. But after the flood, there are many people living well past 120 years, although not as long as they were living before the flood. Therefore, the age of people living in the Bible drops drastically and continues to do so until Moses' time when hardly anyone lives past the age of 120. In Psalms 90 verse 10, it says that the human lifespan is only 70 years, and maybe 80 if the person is strong. Others have brought up the idea that the 120 years was actually the time that God had given the people on the earth to repent from their sins. Depending on the time that God gave this command, it was about 100 years that it took Noah to build the ark. The Bible says that Noah was 500 years old when he fathered his three sons, and then he was 600 when the flood happened. Some scholars believe that Noah wasn't exactly 500 years old when he had three sons, otherwise they would all be triplets, and that it could have been just about 120 years from the time that God gave the command and when the flood happened. The Bible doesn't say that the command for Noah to build the ark was given when he was 500, but just the age that he became the father of his sons. Therefore, it could have been just 120 years that he gave the people to repent. As God looked down, he saw that every thought of man was intent on evil, and the wickedness of man was everywhere on the earth. Therefore, he commanded Noah to build the ark. Here in the Bible, it says that God regretted creating man, but this is not like human emotions of regretting to have done something. The Hebrew word can actually be translated to mean grieved, being grieved that the man he created was no longer pursuing him in a relationship. There are some scholars that believe that it wasn't just man being wicked that caused the flood. It was also because the offspring of the sons of God, that because of the Nephilims that were waging war, God sent the flood to remove them. This is thought to be one of the reasons because it is mentioned right before the account of the flood. Before talking about Noah and the ark, let's take a look at what some scholars believe what the world population was right before the flood. Although no specific number for people can be given on the population in Noah's day, looking at different population growth throughout history, some scholars have come up with a couple different estimations. Just using today's average population growth rate, 1.05%, within 1656 years, the population would have been over 65 million people from Adam to the flood. However, that is today's rate. People before the flood would live well over the age life expectancy that is seen today. Let's take the average growth rate in the world in 2000. It was at 1.31%. In that same time period, there would have been over 4.5 billion people. And the numbers can be staggering when the growth rate of 2% is used, which was the average growth rate in the world from 1965 to 1972. 
Although the life expectancy was much longer, there were wars. Otherwise, describing the Nephilims as warriors would have no point. Also, in Genesis 6, verse 11, it says that the earth was corrupt and that the earth was also filled with violence. Therefore, God gave Noah the plans and commanded him to build an ark. The Greek and Hebrew word for ark literally means either a box or a chest. Some numbers will be given about the size of the ark just to give a picture of the actual size it was. The type of wood that was used is unknown. Some say that it was gopher wood and others say that it was a cypress wood. Either way, God had Noah put a pitch in the inside and outside to seal it from any water getting in. Building the ark 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. A cubit is an ancient measurement from an elbow to the tip of the fingers. Because everyone has different size, hand, and forearm, a cubit was anywhere from 17 to 22 inches. In Egypt, the cubit was measured out to be just about 22 inches. Seeing that it was Moses that wrote the book, he most likely used the measurement that he was familiar with. With that in mind, the ark would have been anywhere from 425 to 550 feet long, about 71 to 92 feet wide, and 42 to 55 feet high. That doesn't sound that large for all that Noah had to fit inside. But that is just about 1.3 to 2.75 million cubic feet. This would be the same amount of space that about 2,174 shipping containers on a semi-truck would be able to hold. Even taking the smallest size of a cubit at 17 inches, that is still 1.3 million cubic feet. Another way to measure the arc is by its square footage. It had three different levels with rooms on each of the levels. Therefore, the ark would have been anywhere from 90,525 to 151,800 square feet, about the same size as two to three football fields. The door was placed on the side, and a window a foot and a half tall was placed just under the roof all around the ark. Now that the ark was built, it needed to be filled. God tells Noah that he's going to establish his covenant with him, and because of that, Noah and his wife, his three sons and his son's wives were to be in the ark. God then tells Noah to bring with them a male and female of every kind of animal. Now some translations say two of every animal, but others say that it is every kind or every sort of animal. For example, there are many breeds of dog, but all of them fall within the spectrum of being a kind of dog. Many scholars believe that it was based on every kind of animal. Therefore, scholars believe that there were only 8,000 different kinds of animals that Noah would have on the ark. This would only be about 16,000 animals, plus the ones that God would tell Noah later to bring of the clean kinds. Noah is to bring on the ark only animals, birds, and reptiles. Yes, that does include dinosaurs on the ark too. Although when dinosaurs are brought to mind, it's usually the largest, most meanest one there is. It's always ready to eat something. However, the actual size of most dinosaurs were no bigger than a horse. The dinosaurs that are thought to be huge are mostly based on a single bone or two. For example, the largest dinosaur that is thought to have been found, being 190 feet long, 30 feet to the tallest point on its back, and weighing over 135 tons, was only based on one vertebrae that was 9 feet long. This isn't saying that there were some dinosaurs that were huge though. 
Based on almost complete skeletons, the longest dinosaur was 80 feet and weighed about 10 to 16 tons. And the most massive one was about 75 feet but weighed 40 tons. Just putting the other species aside, how would Noah be able to fit only a couple of these dinosaurs in the ark and still have room for himself? These scholars believe that Noah didn't have full-grown adult animals on the ark, not just for the size, but also for the fact that if God wanted to repopulate the earth with that type of species, it would be better to have babies, or at most, teenage animals that would have a longer time period to procreate. As for the rest of the animals that were on the ark, scholars believe that only 11 to 15% of the animals were any larger than a sheep. The ark wasn't a zoo, with plenty of room for the animals to graze and have space to move. The reason for the ark was to help the people and animals to survive. Most likely, the animals were in cages of some sort to help not only contain the animals, but also to take care of them. With the average cage being about 20 inches long, by 20 inches wide, by 12 inches high, that would only be a little less than 3 cubic feet for each cage. Now there were cages that were bigger for the larger animals and maybe even pens, but also there were smaller cages for the smaller animals. Two hummingbirds wouldn't need that size of a cage. This is just the average size cage based on the different animals. Because the cages would be about 3 cubic feet for each cage, the amount of room for every single animal to have their own cage that size would take about 48,000 cubic feet of the 1.3 to 2.75 million cubic feet. Or the cages would take about 43,000 square footage of the 90,525 to 151,800 square feet. At most, the animals were taking no more than half of the ark. The food for that amount of animals would only have taken about 15% of the space on the ark, and a little less than 10% would have been used for water. That's if they didn't catch any of the rain for water. With that many animals in there, there had to be some thoughts put into how to clean up after the animals. Well, there was, with sloped floors and slated cages helping in controlling the cleanup, as well as having very absorbent material in the ark, would help in reducing the moisture and with the smell of the place. Many people believe that the flood wasn't a worldwide flood, but just a bunch of local floods throughout the world. However, as we'll see later, why would God give his promise to never send a local flood? Local floods are still seen throughout the world today. But taking a look at the world today, there is overwhelming evidence that the flood not only did happen, but was actually worldwide. For example, the fossils that are seen today, majority of them are from a time of the flood. The fossil record that is used by many is told from the perspective that there is no God, no creator, or anything outside of the physical universe. However, the problem with this perspective is that anything and everything will be used to prove that evolution is real, when in reality, it isn't. Many discoveries are usually based on a single bone that is then imagined into something totally different than it originally was. Fossils are created when something dies and is buried very quickly under mud and silt. This preserves the bones and then turns them into fossils as it hardens. All over the world there are places that have many fish that have fossilized in positions of agony and sudden death. Bones from hippos that are only found in Africa were found in Europe as far north as Yorkshire in England at 1,450 feet above sea level, with pebbles that are only found in the ocean, not native to the area. 
in other areas of the world, such as Alaska, Canada, Greenland, and in the Arctic Ocean, scientists are finding corals in the water. Corals only grow in warm waters, not the freezing cold water of these areas. In areas that it's so cold that hardly any plants could grow, great forests of petrified trees are being found, many that are uprooted and thrown into positions that were caused by a violent force. In different places, discovery of whales have been found where they shouldn't be, such as in Michigan, Two whale fossils have been found 582 feet above sea level. This isn't the only ones. In Vermont, more than 500 feet above sea level, and in Quebec, 600 feet above sea level, whales have been found. In a cave in China has been found seven human fossils with a large mix of other animals from colder climates, cold and wet climates, dry climates, warm climates, and from jungles were all found in this cave together. Likewise, in Maryland, a cave was found with warm and cold climate animals all in one place. However, their bones seemed as if they were crushed, being dashed up against the rocks from a large wave. The bones of these animals were broken. The list of evidence can go on and on, showing that there was a worldwide flood that wiped out the whole world. A lot of non-creationists believe that most of these strange mixtures of bones and whales being on top of hills was because of the ice age and the earth rising from the sea and entrapping the aquatic animals. This does bring up two different thoughts though. Yes, there is plenty of evidence for the worldwide flood, but what about the ice age? Was it even real? Or is it something that evolutionists use to explain away a creator? Creationists do believe that the ice age did happen. However, not multiple times as many evolutionists believe, but a single ice age happened right after the flood. To help explain the cause of the ice age, we must look at what caused the flood. To make one thing clear, the whole world was not paradise. Only the Garden of Eden was paradise. This can be seen in Genesis 5 verse 29. When Noah was named, his father said, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. This isn't to say that Noah is going to save them from work, because work is good. Work was given to Adam before the flood. But this is saying that the ground was cursed. It wasn't paradise. In Genesis 3, verse 17 and 18, it says that the ground is cursed and thorns and thistles will grow from it. Also, pre-flood, it is thought that there used to be waters above the earth, and that this is what caused the warm climate for a paradise of the world. This is called the canopy theory, in which it is believed that the earth was surrounded by a canopy of water, which was the reason for the rains for 40 days and 40 nights, as well as protected the earth from harmful radiance from the sun. It also would create a greenhouse effect, possibly explaining the long lives people lived. However, this has been disproved in that water vapors don't protect someone from the UV rays from the sun just like a person still can get sunburn on a cloudy day. Also, if the water vapor was thick enough to cause a flood three feet deep, it would cook the earth from the greenhouse effect. In Psalms 148 verse 4, it declares that the heavens to praise God and that the waters above the heavens. If the water above the earth had fallen in the days of Noah, then the water above the heavens would not need to praise God then what could have caused the flood? In Genesis 7, verse 11, 
in chapter 8, verse 2, it says how the flood started and stopped. When Noah entered the ark, all of the foundations of the deep broke open and the heavens opened up and poured down rain. It ended the same way, by closing up the deep and the heavens. These foundations are thought to be tectonic plates. What many scholars believe to have happened is what is seen happening today with the tectonic plates, but just on a larger scale. Today, the tectonic plates are moving still, just at a very slow pace. The tectonic plate is basically the thought that the whole world is sitting on tectonic plates, even the ocean. These plates are moving only inches a year under the surface of the earth, which causes earthquakes, volcanoes, and the formation of mountains. The way these plates move is either in a divergent, convergent, and transformed fault. A divergent boundary is when two tectonic plates pull away from each other. Convergent boundary is when the plates are pushing up against each other. And a transformed fault boundary is when two tectonic plates move side by side each other. As the ocean tectonic plates begin to converge into the continental, or landmass plates, it causes the ocean plate to go underneath the landmass. The reason for this is because the ocean plates are heavier and denser than the landmass. As one side of the plate goes under, on the other side of the plate it is replaced. Think of it as a conveyor belt. As one side goes under, the same amount comes up the other side. This is kind of what happened when the tectonic plates began to move. However, when the conveyor belt, so to speak, starts to happen, it creates more energy. On the back side of the plates, where it's being replaced by molten rocks that are lighter in weight, this then causes the conveyor belt to move faster. Because of more energy, it creates the lighter density of the rocks. As this is happening, because the ocean plate is converging with the landmass plate, it would cause the ocean plate to bend upward. This would then cause the sea floor to rise. However, at the same time the ocean plate is going under the landmass plate, it would pull on the landmass plate, causing the landmass to have a downward warp. This would actually cause the land to lower. Some scholars say that the upward warp of the ocean plates and the less denser ocean floor would have caused it to rise up to about 3,000 feet. When the oceanic plate goes under the continental plate, it pushes the molten or lava under the plates, displacing it and causing it to surface somewhere else. When the lava reaches the ocean floor because of how cold the water is and how hot the lava is, it would immediately vaporize the water. When the water vaporizes, it would cause a jet-like uplift of the gases from the bottom of the rift in the ocean all the way up to the surface of the ocean. Just like water when it evaporates, it builds up rain clouds in the atmosphere and it produces rain. This uplift would spray the vaporized water into the atmosphere like vaporized water and produces the rain for the flood. However, this jet-like uplifting of the vaporized water wasn't just happening in one spot. It was happening across the whole mid-Atlantic rift. This rift in the Atlantic Ocean covers 43,500 miles from the top of the world to the bottom. That's what would cause the rains for 40 days and nights. As the water vapor enters the atmosphere, it would spread across the face of the whole earth. Also, because of the increase of lava coming out of the ocean floor, it would cause the ocean temperature to rise, which then would also cause more evaporation into the atmosphere. This would be perfect conditions for the beginning of the Ice Age. Now, the Ice Age is only thought to have happened once and lasted a long while. 
covering all of Arctic, most of Europe, North America, and some parts in Asia and South America. Because of the volcanic and tectonic plate movement, the atmosphere would have changed after the flood. When the tectonic plates continue to move, they would have caused the volcanoes to erupt. This would have caused a large amount of ash and debris into the air, causing the earth itself to cool off because it would reflect the sun. And with so much rain that the floods would have brought, in the north and south poles, all that rain would have been snow. As more snow falls, it would reflect the sun so that the results in the earth cooling off and producing even more snow and ice sheets. This is thought to have gone on until the oceans finally cooled off. Therefore, the flood is thought to have caused the ice age. So as Noah and his family were on the ark, it rained for 40 days and nights. But after the rain, the ride wasn't over yet. The Bible says that when they boarded it, it was on the second month of Noah's 600th year on the 17th day. They didn't get off the boat until the second month of Noah's 601st year on the 27th day. They spent just over a year on the ark. After the rain for 40 days, the water sat on the surface of the earth for 150 days. After the seventh month, the ark rested on the mountains of Ariat. Today, Mount Ariat is thought to be that resting place. This mountain is located in modern-day eastern Turkey on the borders of Iraq and Armenia. Although many explorers have tried to find the ark on and around Mount Ariat, the mountain had not grown to what it is today, being 16,854 feet above sea level, until well after the flood. Geologists have found that the sediment from the flood is beneath the whole mountain and that it was built on top of the sediment. Then where could the ark have landed? We know from Genesis that it did land on the mountains of Ariat, not necessarily Mount Ariat. The lumber could have been used from building materials and fires, or the ark has simply decayed over time. Until this day, no one knows for sure, but we do know that God did bring Noah, his family, and the animals safely through the flood. At 10 months, the mountains were finally visible, but it wasn't for another two more months in which the water would fully recede. Then God gives Noah and his family the command to leave the ark. So join us next time as we take a look at Noah and his family leaving the ark and multiplying on the earth. Not long after the first known empire is created to pursue their own desires separate from God at the Tower of Babel in episode 4, what did you say? Until next time, remember that you are loved, special, and worthwhile. Thanks for listening to the History of the Bible podcast. If you liked it, go ahead and rate and review it. For ways to give feedback or to let us know how this podcast has impacted you, check out the links in the show notes.